Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another edition of Hidden Yardage, right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane, joined by Sean Martin. Sean, good to have you on again. Hey man, great to be back. I hope you got the Rabble browser open and ready to drop some facts here on episode two. Yeah, for sure. I, I love how I introduced you like you're just... Uh, once again, some hitchhiker that I picked up and not actually someone who has equal billing on the podcast. Well, you could probably find some hitchhikers around, you know, Arkansas and Texas and uh, the states that we both now occupy. So, hey, uh, we're right on theme now. You know, we're all about the theming here at Blogging the Boys. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but much like Dak Prescott, uh, we would have some some say and whether or not we wanted to pick up said hitchhikers. Yeah, Prescott, um, you know, making some headlines for us this week in terms of being ed- asked by USA Today if he feels like he should have some personnel input now, thanks to being on his new contract and it's a topic I covered on our site. And, you know, I think my initial reaction to this was the same as what a lot of Cowboys fans are going to say, and that's, that's saying that as someone that's a big Dak Prescott supporter. And I think there were fans that... Well, hang on a second, partner. Before we get going, um, let me at least read the quote for them. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, you're good. It's it's me. I'm the problem in the way that I set that one up. But uh, here's the quote, just so folks know. It was an interview he did with Jory Epstein uh, from USA Today. And he said, and she posed the question, will he have a say in the pieces that they're going to set around him. And he said, quote, I think that just depends on whether they ask me. I, I'm i not going in and knocking on doors saying, hey, I want this done. I want that done. But I'm pretty sure that my opinion will be valued in certain decisions as I hope. So with that being said, just plan on helping this team get better in every which way I can, unquote. And now, Sean. You may continue. So Dak Prescott, I think, is you know a confident player that has really seen this Cowboys team try to build around him. And I think you know the theme of this particular offseason for Dallas is how can we you know build around him in a way that we know the contract is on and we know it becomes more difficult as the years go on. So what's the quickest way to you know surround him with talent? And I think a lot of Cowboys fans and I was right there with them as well. Their initial reaction is the best way to do it is not, you know, just handing Dak the keys and saying that he can make all these big personnel decisions now, which doesn't seem to be exactly the direction they're going, although he can have input because it feels like we've been talking, you know, year after year for since every year, since every time Dak has been the starter, 
about, you know, how can they elevate his game? How can we make him better? How can this team be better around Dak Prescott? Well, when you're a franchise quarterback and a new contract, I think it's more than fair to say, you know, how can you elevate us? And the Cowboys are asking that of Prescott at some point. Now he can clap back and say, you know, hey, the best chance to win might have been on my rookie contract and you wasted a year with, you know, Alan Hearns is my number one receiver. So maybe it is time for me to tell you what's best for this offense as opposed to the other way around. But, you know, Jimmy Johnson had a quote recently about um, Jerry Jones never really admitting his own mistakes. And I don't think that's going to change this offseason. But if anything is going to change this offseason, you know, the Cowboys certainly seem to be in a position where they're willing to try some new things. And if those new things are listening to their franchise quarterback and certainly fixing this offensive line that has to be a priority, then, yeah, I do think he's at the point where, you know, he can have that input and have that say because we know the front office has those say and they haven't really backed it up with those decisions being ones that helped his team win. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Prescott, at least in the answer, indicates that he's going to let the Joneses and Will McClay uh, do their part when it comes to assembling the talent. They're not nece- He's not necessarily going to, to tell them what to do, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers situation, where I think it's pretty clear that Rodgers uh, dictated uh, or wanted to have a lot of say in the moves that went on with the Packers. So it doesn't look like it's going to be that particular situation. And really, I, I don't know how much input you really want to give your star quarterback. I mean, these guys are supposed to go out and lead the team. They're, they're not also the general manager. I mean, this isn't the AFPA, okay? This isn't like when George Hallis was a player for the Decatur Staley's and later a coach and that type of then went back and forth type of thing. This is Dak Prescott plays. He's a quarterback. I mean, it's enough that he gets to audible out of plays at the line of scrimmage. Should he be audibling out of personnel moves during the offseason? Um, and I think you've got to keep people in those defined roles. Uh, it, it was good that he said – that if he asks, I mean, that if they ask, uh, he's going to have some input and that he hopes that his opinion is valued. And I think that we've seen instances, not just with this franchise, but with others, where teams have done that. And it's been in reasonable situations. Take, for example, Noah Brown. Dallas drafted him in 2017 out of Ohio State. The same alma mater as Ezekiel Elliott. And Elliott was glad and I and consulted a little bit, just, you know, when they asked when they do all of their homework on these guys. And he said that he liked Noah Brown because he was a good blocker. And, of course, that's what a running back would like is someone to help maintain the edge in the run game. So I, I think in situations like that, that's good it can get a little overboard, and as in the case with Aaron Rodgers, he wanted Randall Cobb back, and so they traded with the Houston Texans for Randall Cobb, and Cobb, I don't even, he may have caught one touchdown that year. I mean, it's really more about Devontae Adams and and uh, Valdez Scantling uh, and those guys than it is 
Randall Cobb. And I, I think that what really, if Dallas wants to help Prescott out, I mean, yeah, they can, they can consult him on personnel matters, but I think that they have got to really help him out with fixing that offensive line. And if you're going to continue to commit to the run game in the year 2022, then you've got to find a way to to make the run game better, which may mean you don't even have to bring anybody in. You just have to give Tony Pollard a few more touches. That may be the solution. But I mean, the it, difference is night and day when it comes to you know the way Dak Prescott plays in front of a strong offensive line or not. But you know the reality is. You just don't have the cap space this offseason, and you probably won't anytime soon to, you know, put as many resources as they once had in the offensive line. So something better change in terms of reprioritizing it in the draft or hitting on a couple free agents here because, you know, you can't tie up all your cap space once again in this offensive line just to say, okay, Dak, you know, now we're back to this all-star number one in the NFL type of offensive line level. Because to do that, you'd be hurting other position groups, not only on his offense, but, you know, Dan Quinn's defense and all that as well. So, you know, the offensive line is a major concern, but Prescott is going to have to realize, you know, the reality is that he's not going to really have it the same way he did in those first couple of years with an all-pro Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, the right guard, and Lyle Collins and Travis Frederick and the whole band being together. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, they're not going to have the same salary cap. And a lot of that is due to Dak Prescott. Hey, he plays the premier position. So that's where all the dollars should go. And he's going to cost the Cowboys $34.45 million against their salary cap this season, which really, to me, just raises the topic of, yeah, they've got Prescott, they've got a franchise quarterback, but – what years they squandered not trying to go all out and get it done while he was on his rookie contract. Good grief. Yeah, I don't see how any initial reaction to this news about Prescott giving his opinion on if he should have an opinion in the Cowboys front office. I don't see how anyone's initial reaction isn't a hard no just because of his resume. And yeah, he has strong numbers. He has support of you know his peers around the league a lot of players respect you know the way he's brought some consistency to Dallas in terms of them being able to go from Tony Romo straight to his level of play but I don't see how anyone's reaction based on the fact that he hasn't had the playoff success or that he hasn't really elevated you know this team to where they want to go isn't a hard no but then you you know you peel back the surface like we do here on hidden yardage and it's like well do, you know, other teams might not do this, but do other teams have their owner and GM sitting in these coaching meetings like Jerry and Steven are and also dictating the things that they dictate? So, you know, if that's going to be going on, then maybe this time to swing the other way and also have the players have an input. And it can't just be any player, of course. You want to go to the ones that are the most important to you. And right now, nothing's more important than building his thing around Dak Prescott, which they've been trying to do on his rookie contract and now they're trying to do it in much harder conditions. Yeah, and I think that this season is going to be fraught with a little more drama and a challenge to the cohesion that they formed in 2021. 
remember that Prescott said at the end, uh, in his post game after the playoff loss to the 49ers, he mentioned that he thought that, uh, you know, that they underachieved because they had the brotherhood, the camaraderie, the great coaches, and it fizzles out in the wild card round against the San Francisco 49ers, who, hey, they made a good run of it, and they go and they knock off Green Bay, and then they take uh, the the Rams down to the wire. So they made the most of it. It wasn't like they got crushed the next week. But nevertheless, it's the, that sense of underachieving that the Cowboys have gone through. And I don't know about you, Sean, but when I look at uh, the things that Jerry Jones said at the Senior Bowl, and when I hear Mike McCarthy on the Rich Eisen show uh, this past week, uh, it just sounds like there's a little bit of that of that cohesion and camaraderie that is is it's starting to become colloidal. It's not really meshing like it used to, and I. I that's really a problem because every year you do have to break down and start over. I mean, every NFL season, even for the New England Patriots and all these other stable franchises, just the concept of starting over is so Sisyphean. And then you push this boulder over the mountain throughout the season. And it just, to me, looks like they're off to a rocky start already. It does, and you know, I think Jerry Jones is well aware of this. I do think that he is very conscious at the moment about you know the kind of the mess that he's created at the start of this offseason. and you know, in his mind, probably the only way to keep moving past this is is to continue to, for better or worse, put this team in the headlines. And hopefully, when free agency starts, it's for good reasons that way by getting some talent on here. And then, you know, of course, we all know their draft history, and you know, they might be talked about as one of those teams that gets all the high draft grades, which we know, of course, also doesn't mean anything, but they'll carry some momentum into the draft. And then, you know, not long after that, we get off and running with some actual football activities, which could be really good for this team right now, just based on the circus that's going on without football activities. So I think, you know, Jerry is aware of this. And I think that's also, in a weird way, a reason why I think it's going to end up creating kind of some stability on this year's staff, because, Again, going back to that Jimmy Johnson quote, you know, I don't think he's in any position, even though they lost in the first round this year, to start admitting now that he's wrong. And I think that letting this continue to escalate, you know, letting this continue to be an issue in terms of, hey, is McCarthy actually your guy? Is Kellen Moore, did he want to be back here? Were you, were you not discouraged by the fact that he didn't go out and get any of these co- head coaching jobs? And that makes you look a little bit worse in terms of, you know, you being the team that, is still giving him a chance. Why couldn't you win on Dak's rookie contract? You know, all these hard questions that we're going to continue asking them. Jerry Jones starts peeling back in the layers and says, oh, well, you know, yeah, I was wrong about McCarthy. Or now we're, we are going to move on from more. And now we don't have these things for Prescott to really structure himself around. And the years keep going by in this new contract. That would be quite the, the change of face from this Cowboys front office. So, you know, we are going to see more of the same in terms of the ups and downs this offseason, I'm sure. But I think by the end of it, you know, you know what you have in McCarthy, you know what you have in Kellen Moore, 
and Dak Prescott, and it's about just building around that and also expecting your defense to regress a little bit under Dan Quinn and how do you deal with that and be a more consistent offense? How do you identify this team really needs to identify what they can hang their hat on? What are you best at and go do it as opposed to almost every single position group on this roster besides maybe quarterback, at least is something of a need right now. I don't think there's one position where you can say, oh, they may, you know, they might need a guy here. They could use either a high pick or a late round pick, or maybe you want to get a free agent that can actually play some snaps at this position. So the amount of work that has to be done, I think is going to kind of settle this team down and just let them get back to, uh, you know, focusing on building this 2022 roster. Yeah, and you mentioned Jerry and peeling back the layers. Jerry has said multiple times that decision-making is 50-50 as to whether or not you're going to be right or not. But what really matters is once you've made a bad decision to quickly get out of it, which to me is, isn't that, again, another 50-50 decision as to whether or not, you know, well, you mentioned the Patriots. That's kind of that was their trademark with Belichick and Brady. You know, they uh, were never afraid to admit their mistakes, and of course, they had a great core of players in place. None more so than Brady, of course, but they were always willing to, you know, identify a player that's struggling and just say, "Hey, you know, we messed this one up, and let's get somebody else in here." I don't know how many players on this current Cowboys roster fit that mold in terms of, you know, who you're ready to run out of town here. I think the discussion goes the other way in Dallas. I think we're talking about who can we try to keep given the cap situation that we're in? And then also on top of that, who makes sense to draft when you're not on the clock until 24th overall? And, you know, what's this board going to look like? But you talk about wanting to compare yourself to some of the premier organizations, you know, go try to be, and I know everybody says, don't try to be the Patriots because it's too difficult, whatever. But in this aspect, go take a look at what the Patriots do when it comes to turning over this roster and not just giving guys second, third, fourth chances and so on. Yeah, but the thing with the Patriots, like you said, is that people have tried to emulate them, and it just doesn't really work out. Um, and another team that's going to try to do that, it looks like, is the Las Vegas Raiders, as they've got Dave Ziegler, who's the director of player personnel. Now they bring in Josh McDaniels. Uh, it just it seems like for the Patriots, it works out. They're the uh, Belichick underlings the front office guys like a Thomas Dimitrov when they go someplace, it works out for them. But it just, that's the model of consistency that everybody wants. And frankly, Sean, that's not what the Cowboys have, have demonstrated since 1996. Uh, And I I just hate to keep going back to 1996 all the time, but um, they've really not. It was a good year. I was born that year. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people born in that year and after that year, and they don't know anything about the last Super Bowl they were in. But um, the thing about it is, since then, Dallas has repeated as playoff qualifiers. I'm not even going to say division champs. Just playoff qualifiers, 96, say 95, and then 96, there's one, 98, 99. And then 2006 and 2007. I mean, when when you're, like I say, qualifying for the playoffs as often as there's Olympics, I just don't know how you can continue to keep 
that cohesion of what winning feels like. And it's almost like every year's some sort of Cinderella season. And that's why I, I you're optimistic about 2022. I, I, with the with all of the off season drama, it feels like there's still all the in season drama that you get as the year's winding down. But now it's still going on, and there's no games. And that's what I worry about is when they start their off season workouts uh, in April. I believe April twenty fifth. Uh, no, it's the week before that. They, I just, I wonder what the participation is going to be like, uh, what the messaging is going to be like, and if Jerry and well, Mike we, and we know the messaging, this don't we? I mean, you know, McCarthy's still going to be here, so we know what the messaging is going to be in terms of, you know, the offseason. You know, we did this with Jason Garrett, and, you know, McCarthy's doing the same thing. You know, he's going to tell us, so, you know, this is step one towards building a championship team. I've done it before. You know, everybody's kind of coming to terms on, you know, McCarthy being another type of guy like that where we kind of know what to expect in these press conferences and things like that. You know, the thing is he's going to have to go show it, and, you know, he knows how hot his seat might be, and he knows that this season how important it is. But, you know, they're all important. You don't, you only get so many chances to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and, and to try to win with Dak Prescott, which they're so desperate to do. So, yeah, they're all important right now, Mike, and, uh, you know, that's where, that's where this team is going to go once they start getting back on the field here. Yeah, I I agree. I see what you're saying. Uh, it's just I've seen this before. They make the playoffs, and then the next year is just uh, they fall apart. Now, admittedly, I, I want to compare it to the 2010 season. They were a little more <clears throat> cohesive than this 2022 group will be because I don't think they had very many losses in free agency and – they added Des Bryant, and <clears throat> they traded Patrick Creighton at the end of preseason. But they're pretty much the same team, and then they start 1-7, and seven and Wade Phillips gets fired. It's just that's the thing that I wonder about and I feel like has to be taken care of with the cohesion that they're going to develop in April. I, You know, that's that's really when it's going to – we're going to see what this team is about is when off-season work-offs, work, off-season workouts kick off. Well, the NFC East hasn't had a repeat winner since 2004, so I know the way you framed the question in our, in our show rundown here is that we get to see a repeat of you know a season where they went six and ten. I think they'll do a little bit better than that. Our RJ Ochoa did write an article about the DVOA stats, which is something that a lot of football analytics analytical minds really believe in as far as projecting what these teams are going to do. And the Cowboys for next year are the only team in the NFL with a top 10 ranking in the expected DVOA, which stands for defense-adjusted value over average, but a bottom 10 uh, a bottom ten strength of schedule with who they're going up against. Now, a couple of things on that. A big part of that strength of schedule is, of course, the expectation that you're going to be going against the weak NFC East again with the Commanders, the Eagles, and the Giants. But again, nobody's repeated in this thing since – 2004. So how weak are those teams going to be? How much is the Cowboys defense going to aggress? Uh, these are all, you know, things to look at. Bobby Belt from 105 Fleet of Fan had a uh, discouraging stat as well. 
The Cowboys were 0 and 4 in home games last year, where they didn't have at least two takeaways on defense. Now, you look at their home opponents next year. You got the NFC East, of course, and there's some quarterback issues of all those teams where you think, okay, maybe you can still have some defensive defensive success. And you also play the Bears or Justin Fields, you know, the Detroit Lions. I don't know if Jared Goff scares you that much. Tampa Bay has to figure out what life after Brady is going to look like. Indianapolis is in the headlines right now for trying to find a Carson Wentz replacement and then the Texans and Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So, you know, just on paper sitting here with so long to go before next season, you know, maybe this defense can always kind of repeat what they did last year and the analytics would say that they're expected to, but the division's going to catch up to you at some point. It always seems to do so at kind of the worst times for the Cowboys and they take one step forward like they did this year and two major steps back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And one of the ways that the Cowboys can take a step forward or a step back is with their team construction. And they've got a lot of free agents that they need to make decisions regarding. But it's not just in terms of, well, what, do you sign them or you don't sign them? It's also, who do you want to throw the franchise tag on? And so I've got a list here, Sean, and it's comprised of just uh, guys that uh, whose rookie contracts are up or, or, you know, we'll say Noah Brown too. Uh and also guys who, uh, who, who are ex- exemplary free agents like J. Ron Kirst. So I'm not going to include Ty Nasecki in here and Brent Urban if you want to use the franchise tag on them. It's just guys that, like I said, rookie contracts, they did well on the last year of their deal. Would you give any of these guys the franchise tag? And let's go ahead and kick it off. With Leighton Vanderesh, what do you say, Sean? No, I think that's a position where it's another relatively strong draft class, and I think you can find. You know, I think they're ready to move on here. This coaching staff wasn't in place when Vanderesh was drafted, and he had a couple of good seasons here. Yeah, people were talking about the fact that he ended the season strong, and you know, good for him on that. Maybe that'll help him increase his price tag in free agency, and then it would be it would be an even tougher decision for the Cowboys to keep him based on the cap crunch they're already facing at some other positions. So, you know, I don't see Vanderess as a, as a tag candidate right now. Next up, Cedric Wilson. That's an interesting one. I mean, I I like what Cedric Wilson brings to this offense. It's hard to describe, isn't it? Like he's just kind of that guy that, you know, feels like Prescott finds in the big moments. He, he saved the Patriots game for you this season on that fourth down before C.D. Lamb stole the show with the walk-off overtime touchdown, and those two plays are kind of two of the last bright spots for the whole season on offense, if you can believe that. So, you know, I do like what Wilson brings to this team, and I do think that this team is very dead set on making sure they stay strong at receiver before going into the draft. I really think if you kind of read between the tea leaves, 
it sounds like they don't want to go into the draft having to address receiver again. So franchise tagging Wilson could be one way to do it. I don't think it's all that realistic that it will happen, but I'm interested in any way that they can keep him on the roster at a really good price tag. And again, that's one way that they might be able to, to do just that. Yeah, and Cedric Wilson, according to SpotRack, made $2.1 million, well, $2.2 million last year uh, playing for the Cowboys. I, I think if he makes it to free agency and I need a receiver, I think Cedric Wilson is at the top of my list because of how versatile he is, not just in his receiver roles. He's also a pretty darn good special teams player, too. So you would you would sign him over Michael Gallup, knowing knowing what we know about Gallup with the surgery going well, and he's going to be due back and all that. I don't know that I said that. I don't know that I said that, but um, let's let's talk about Michael Gallup. Franchise tag him. That's another one where I think, you know, initially when his free agent status was coming up, I think the discussion was. You know, another team is going to see him as a guy who does more or can do more for them. And then on the other side of it, I think Gallup himself is a guy who sees himself as, you know, playing a bigger role in an offense. So, you know, we all like what Gallup brings to this team. And again, the team itself, I think, wants to be strong at receiver before having to make any moves this offseason. But I think they're looking at having to do so without Michael Gallup. Uh, you know, I think that's another one where you're not able to, to get a deal done the franchise tag isn't really a fit here. If I had to pick and you have Michael Gallup tied down on the railroad tracks over here, and you have CD, I mean, Cedric Wilson tied up on the railroad tracks over here, I got to throw the switch as who gets run over by the train. I think I might run Cedric Wilson over with the free agency departure train and pick <laughs> Michael Gallup. I took a dark turn. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, but uh just I think for this team for the Dallas Cowboys, I would pick Michael Gallup and then try to see if I could draft another If Cedric Wilson doesn't get lost in the sun, are we still running him over? Uh well, you know Or we're we just buying curtains instead. Yeah, imagine you know, they have curtains for the Again, that's a whole other thing. I'll, you know what? I'll divert off onto it. I, I'll, I'll tell you, this is the deal, Sean. This is the deal with the with the sun and all of that. It's been there for five billion years or whatever Garrett said, Mark. Yes. All, also, by the way, Jason Garrett said that after Dallas lost to the New York Giants 20-19 on September the 11th, 2016. Dak Prescott's first start is when he made those remarks. Um, but – Really, at Old Texas Stadium, there used to be a crown in the on the field where if you were throwing, like, how do I describe it? it wasn't I heard about that. I heard it was the highest in the league as far as, like, the angle to it, and it's kind of hard right. to believe that. But they had the biggest crown that you could legally have on an NFL field. Yes, yeah, so in some ways it was like going upfield. And... In that regard, and that's why Brett Favre, they say, you know, threw so many picks when he played Dallas in Texas Stadium. But it, I think Jerry was trying to recreate that same type of advantage at AT&T Stadium, not necessarily with a crown on the field. But, but he built the, the wrong way. <laughs> right. 
Right. But now this is an advantage where it goes against the both sides. <laughs> and I think that's what Jerry was trying to do with the sun. Because notice at the there there was the final four of the semifinal no, it was the semifinals, I think, for uh back in twenty thirteen for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. They did put up curtains for that because basketball is not a game that's affected by the elements. Even if you want to say the four elements of earth, wind, fire, and I forget wind, but football is. So that's why they leave. That's why there's no curtain and they let the sun blind the receivers. Let me just say one of my biggest pet peeves is big basketball games being played, you know, like the stage type football. I mean, a thing where like players can fall off of it and it's like this weird stage setting type thing. I'm sure, you know, the players love it, of course, and you need to accommodate the amount of fans that want to come to these big March Madness games. And I love March Madness. I know we're getting close to it here. But the football stadiums converted to basketball arenas has always been weird to me. Yeah, another one of those is the old Pontiac Silverdome where the uh, the Detroit Pistons used to play. They used to play in the where the Detroit Lions would play. And, it, and until they got the Auburn, the Palace at Auburn Hills, I think for the 90-91 season, uh, it, it was. It was just a spacious. And then the lighting is all weird. It's like there's some portions that were in the dark. And, um, of course, we cannot forget that the San Antonio Spurs, of which R.J. Ochoa is a great fan, used to play in the Alamo Dome. So that was another example of a football of a basketball team playing in a football venue. And if you want to hear more from R.J. Ochoa, you can check him out on Tuesdays with Tony Casillas on the 750 right here on the Blog and the Boys podcast network and also on Thursdays with the Ocho. That's, again, on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. But uh, from, the, you know, cartons to throwing railroad tracks and uh, having the train run over Cedric Wilson, I just want to say I would keep Gallup for this team. But if I'm another team out there needing a receiver, any one of the other 31 teams, I would sign Cedric Wilson. That's my final statement on that. Let me ask you this. You know, if this team does go to Dak Prescott and asks him, you know, hey, what do you what do you want us to do with Michael Gallup? Let's say he's the player that Dak gets to have some input on. What do you think his answer would be? You know, you think that Gallup is the guy that Dak wants to continue to work with? Or you think you'd say, oh, you know, maybe we can use that money elsewhere or try to – get a different type of receiver in the draft, maybe another one of these Cedric Wilson type of guys where he's more of a quick inside, sudden move type of type of player. I think if you pose it to Dak, Michael Gallup versus the field, I think he says Michael Gallup because he's worked with him. Okay, I can respect that. But can you respect Connor Williams enough to use the franchise tag on him, Sean? No, I mean, this is, you know, I mentioned it with the Leighton Van Der Esch thing, you know, different coaching staff and could be some writing on the wall. Connor Williams was the pick right after Van Der Esch in that same draft, of course, 2018 when AT&T Stadium hosted the NFL draft. I was there, uh, which was a great experience, and, you know, got to meet RJ, who you just plugged on our network for the first time and all that. And, you know, we interviewed Connor there, and he was so excited about getting to play next to Tyron Smith. And at the time, Travis Frederick would have been the center there. When he took over at left guard, but you know life comes at you fast in this league. I think Williams is about to learn that because you know Smith isn't the same player, and he's taking some of the heat for that in terms of having to deal with those blitzes and things, and knowing he's the weak point in defenses. 
sending things at Connor Williams and he just couldn't handle this year. At least he couldn't handle without committing a penalty and this coaching staff uh, noticed that, of course, and they, they felt like they couldn't overcome it. So he lost his job for a couple of games there. And all that said, like I said, I think there's some writing on the wall for uh, Connor Williams being in a new uniform next year. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, he had his fun playing for the hometown Cowboys, and now it's time to move on. What about J. Ron Curse? Would you use the franchise tag on him? I'm not sure I would, although I think he is in that top grouping as far as most likely candidates, and there's only two or three, so maybe I would for J. Ron Curse. Either way, my point is that I do want J. Ron Curse back on this football team. I mean, I think what he brought was pretty irreplaceable. He really filled a great role in Dan Quinn's scheme as that hybrid type of linebacker slash safety that you're going to need more of and being able to come down in the box, defend against a run, plays with a lot of range, quickness, knocks away passes. These are all things that you're still going to need next year. And I don't think it's as easy as just saying like, oh, you know, maybe we can get that in the fifth round type of guy. You know, you don't have the draft history or the success to be able to say you're just going to go hit on one of these late round safeties that you've tried to plug and play here the last couple of years. So franchise tag or new contract, I really do hope that Jaylon Curse is still on this defense next season. By the way, they did use the franchise tag on Ken Hamlin after the 2007 season. So there is precedent for the Cowboys using the franchise tag on an overperforming, you know, veteran safety. And they did that with Ken Hamlin. And you might be right. I mean, it might be prudent to do that with Curse. I I feel like Curse uh, came into his own as a pro with the Cowboys, like he was able to shine. He found what fit him well in Dallas, in Dan Quinn's scheme. So for his own good, I think he needs to stay in Dallas. This is a guy that I think, you know, you look at what Coach was able to do and everyone's talking about if the Cowboys defense does get all their big contributors back and Coach being one of them, how, how is it going to look? There's still – expectation that they're going to regress and you know how do you handle that and again that's with curse in the fold so you really don't want to see or have that discussion without Jaron Coast being a guy that you can plug and play and you know trust to fill those holes in the run game and do all those things I just described Noah Brown again uh, you know I hate to say this for the third time but previous coaching staff pretty easily replaceable in terms of what he brings uh I think that says all you need to know about Noah Brown. Yes. Randy Gregory. Would you use the franchise tag on Randy Gregory? So this is easily the most complicated player to discuss the franchise tag with. It's also the guy I had written down as my most likely, though. He's the one who I can give a definitive yes for in terms of what I franchise tag him. Pro Football Focus has him as his, as the fourth highest rated uh, soon-to-be free agent defensive end. He's only behind Von Miller, Super Bowl champion for the second time now, Chandler Jones, and Jadavian Clowney. So we know what Stephen Jones is going to say about free agents getting overpaid and defensive end's position that always gets overpaid in the offseason. You look at those three other names I just compared Gregory with, and all it takes is somebody below that top four to get a big contract, and now all of a sudden everybody's number goes way up, way out of the Cowboys' price range. All that said, I don't think that 
there's any way that this team is ready to admit, you know, that they can move on from Randy Gregory. They saw they saw it through in terms of his whole career, the struggles at the beginning, the missed games, the suspensions, and they can use all that as leverage and saying, We do want you here long term, but we can't work it out right now in terms of the cap space and a long term deal. So here's the franchise tag number, which is still going to be a big number. It's still something that Randy might consider even based uh, based on the other offers he might get from another team. But I think he'll, he'll look at the franchise tag number and say, okay, I can play with this for this year, prove it again, and then I'll make even more when that contract comes back up. So you know, I do think you need to prioritize getting a long-term lucrative deal done with Randy Gregory. But if the first year of that deal looks like a franchise tag situation, then I don't think that's the worst thing in the world as far as making him go prove consistently again that he can be uh, you know, a really good pass rusher opposite to Marcus Lawrence and see what he does with Mika Parsons out there as well. I would like to see them just sign Randy Gregory and not mess around with the you know, the franchise tag. Just well, go. but there's only so much pie and, you know. Yeah, pie in the sky. Uh, you know, <laughs> again, they say that when they have all the cap space yeah. in the world. So – what you know? What's the difference? Well, there is none other than you know not knowing when to when to stop overvaluing you know your own talent here. But in this case, you know the Cowboys should kind of be patting themselves on the back. So I am with you on hoping they get a long term deal done because it's nice to say that they're you know that they're right about one of these for once. You know the rest of the league was always so critical about oh you know why are they giving so many second and third chances to Randy Gregory? Well. It looks like you know if they work out the right numbers here, they could really be proven right in the end about what the, the about the type of player they have. Dorrance Armstrong, would you use the franchise tag on Dorrance Armstrong? Ooh, um, that's tricky. I mean, that's another guy you'd like to have back, right? Uh, I'm getting greedy here. I'm like, I want all these guys back. Yeah. Um, other than you know, Cedric Wilson is on a train track somewhere, right? But. And, I, and that's assuming you might get Gallup back. But, you know, Armstrong, he's a guy you'd like to have. You know, I think Dan Quinn can develop that type of pass rusher pretty well. And I like what he brings in the blitzing game and kind of takes away some of Parsons' snaps or lets you do different things with Parsons, which is kind of the goal right now. So do I expect him to franchise tag him? No. Would I personally, if I was potentially building this roster? I think maybe, but... Armstrong's another guy that might get lost in the uh, in the numbers crunch here. I got Chauncey Golston, so I don't need Dorrance Armstrong unless he wants to come back on a team friendly deal. Hey, but did you feel like Armstrong, or not Armstrong? Sorry, Golston's best snaps were kind of as an interior type of player. It seemed like he really did well going up against those guards and kind of being an interior wrestler. Where you know Armstrong can blitz from the a gap as well, but. You know, he does give you something on the edge that I don't think you quite have yet in Golston, that's for sure. Yeah, but maybe I can get that if I give Armstrong snaps to Golston. Or I can, uh, you know, Armstrong versus the field. Uh, I think that uh, Armstrong, you know, just do a shop and drop. Shop, see what someone else gives you, drop it on our desk, and uh, we'll see whether or not we want to match that i think armstrong is in a position even just from his own where he should try to go out and get the best contract possible for himself and if that means staying in dallas stay in dallas 
Yeah, like you said, versus the field, that field includes the draft, and I'm working my way for some of these prospects, and I see a lot of defensive end and tackle talent, you know, to, that's going to be there in these later rounds. So I think you're on something there in terms of being able to draft to replace Armstrong's the perfect candidate for that. Yeah. Uh, finally, Dalton Schultz. Would you use the franchise tag on a tight end? No, because I am a Blake Jarwin trooper, and, and Schultz is a great has turned himself into a great player. Somebody else is going to go pay him to be a great tight end, and I hope it works out for him. And that's the most likely situation for him. Uh, you know, I do like what Prescott has of Schultz, of course, security blanket type of player, elevates the pass offense, which is the biggest goal for how this team analytically can not only stay at the very least where they were this year, but get better. You better keep your pass offense intact and continue to add talent, but I don't think that losing Dalton Schultz and then trying to just add a receiver and throw more passes to Blake Jarwin. By the way, if you want to hear you back people, more people than just Sean answer a topic question, then you'll love the BTB roundtable with various blogging the boys staffers. That's Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central Time on blogging the boys youtube channel and various other places where that stream is picked up you can definitely find out more at bloggingtheboys.com uh so we've taken a look at who we want who we would use the franchise tag on but the bigger question sean is how do you cope with no football until training camp yeah, this, uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, of course, and so this is the first Sunday of our football all season. And, you know, you take it one day at a time, right? I mean, right now we have a draft to keep us occupied. I love being able to, you know, work through some of these prospects. Just how into the draft I get has kind of changed season to season. Like I mentioned, 2018, I had a fantastic opportunity to come down here and uh, see the draft in person after working for that class. So, I was here when Van Der Es and Connor Williams got added to this team. So for now, we got a draft to keep us occupied. We've also had, I think, about an off-season's worth of ridiculous quotes from Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy and Steven and you name it. So as long as that continues, you know, we'll have plenty of that to write about and cover and talk about on all of these shows. There's two podcasts coming out every single day here on this network. So that's kind of how you cope with our football uh, in the short term, and then, of course, we all know there's some slow periods right before training camp that changes our outlook on what you do with our football. Taking a look over at some other sports, baseball is kind of struggling, of course, to get their season underway right now, and you would hate and you hate to see that, and I haven't really, myself personally, been much of an NBA fan in years, so how do you cope with our football uh, one day at a time? Indeed, one day at a time, but it's good that there are different checkpoints that we can go through in order to get ready for the the next season. And what's coming up that really everybody's fascinated by is the NFL Scouting Combine. That's coming up March 1st. They're having it in Indianapolis, as always. But, Sean, the... I just wonder about the combine because it looks like it's going to be more of a bubble. And I don't know how the prospects are going to take to that, given just the restrictions that come with being in a bubble. 
and whether or not they're they're going to participate in it and will this make pro days more of something that that prospects will take advantage of as opposed to the combine well that's kind of a developing story with the this whole combine bubble and there's some agent boycott situations going on and player player boycotts to a potentially alter this thing and change it you know, i do think if anything, of course, you know these NFL teams learned a lot last year in terms of how their draft process needs to be flexible and adjustable because of how much got changed with no in-person combine and all these things with COVID. So, you know, you you have to learn from what you did last year. And if last year you put a bigger emphasis on pro days, then I don't see any reason why that can't continue this year and still allow yourself to. Uh, to give you know to get the full picture before going into a draft and the pro days the combine it's all about confirming what you saw on tape it's not about drastically changing your grades most teams and even though the combine is a television spectacle now most teams and scouts will tell you that the most important part of the combine is when they walk across the street at indianapolis there and go into the medical center and do all the testing so that you know that information about these players more so than what they do out there on the field because you can get that from the tape and hope that their numbers match up. So, yeah, pro days are important. The combine's another piece of the puzzle, no matter how it goes off this year. And, you know, all in all, it's about just getting the biggest, clearest picture you can on these players. And the day after the combine ends, March 8th, that's when teams designate a player for the franchise tag. So that's another checkpoint that fans can look forward to. But really, I think... When the NFL is going to be big again in people's consciousness is March 14th because that's when the free agency tampering period begins. And just the whole concept of, of you know, free agency tampering before free agency kicking off always sounds funny to me. It does. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, but that's one way they'll make it interesting. And then, of course... Now, Sean, I don't know if you do this, but I do this, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I will text people in the know, okay, at 3 p.m. Central Time, the day that the new league year is, which in this case is March 16th. So I'll text people, and I'll say, Happy New Year. And these are people that live in the NFL. And I'll text them, Happy New Year, when the new league year begins. And they don't know what I'm talking about. They think it's a text from from New Year's Eve. Yeah, I do not do that uh, just because, you know, like, like I think your sources are telling you there, I don't think enough happens on the actual first day of the league New Year for anyone to really care that it is the league New Year. They must not. They must not. But the new league year does begin uh, March 16th, 3 p.m. Central Time. And so that's when all the, all the madness becomes finalized. Uh, then March 27th through the 30th, that's when the NFL owners meetings will take place. So we'll get to hear more from Jerry and Mike McCarthy at the NFC Coaches Breakfast if they're going to do it that way in, in uh, Palm Beach this year. And as I mentioned in the last segment, there, you know, we've had enough quotes from both of them this offseason to – kind of carry us through the early parts of coping with no football. So I would expect more of the same potential. And then on April 18th, that's when 
teams with returning head coaches. So the Cowboys may start their offseason workout programs. So that's going to be when we hear about, well, so-and-so is practicing in Dallas, so-and-so isn't, so-and-so's not whatever. But that'll be another opportunity for Cowboys storylines for those starved of Cowboys storylines. April 4th, uh, who cares? That's That has nothing to do with Dallas. April 20th, though, is the deadline for draft prospect physicals. And usually the start of football activities is kind of the most optimistic point of the offseason. Like you said, it's when we hear that everybody's in the best shape of their life and you know everything's going to be great and all that. And At least right now, sitting here today on February 20th, it sure feels like that's going to be a tough sell for the Cowboys. You know, The Cowboys fan base is not very optimistic right now, and it's really going to take a lot for this 2022 team to be you know bought into. But you know, we're still going to hear all the same things, so you know, just get ready for that. Definitely. And April 22nd is when the, uh, restricted free agents, uh, it's the deadline for them to sign their offer sheets. And some restricted free agents for Dallas include Luke Gifford. So we'll see whether or not he uh, – and, and Mitch Hyatt too. He, but he's an exclusive right free agent. Um, we'll see whether or not they sign on April 22nd. April 27th is the deadline for teams to time test and interview draft prospects. So this was another part of the process that was altered last year. And, you know, you, you got to take your notes and take a look at how you handled it so that you know better what you can do this year. And, you know, the Cowboys will have some players coming down to the start in Frisco there to, uh, to potentially work out. And really, I think uh, the one event that puts the NFL back into the national consciousness, not just uh, diehard football fans who – are struggling through the interminable offseason. But the NFL draft, April 28th through the 30th in Las Vegas, that is going to be a spectacle. And I really think something that – I know they did it in Cleveland and so forth, but you still had some restrictions in place. I think this one's going to be as big as the 2019 draft. One of my favorite memories from the 18 draft, like I mentioned when I was here in Dallas for it, was seeing all the colors of NFL jerseys all throughout, you know, walking around the complex there in the block surrounding AT&T Stadium. You know, usually you go to a Cowboys game and they get criticized a lot for having so many road fans. So, you know, that's one other color that you see. So, like, I went to the Giants game this year and you see some Giants blue mixed in with Cowboys blue and white. So there was like your two colors, you know, the 49ers game, and there was a bunch of red, and everybody made a big deal about that. But NFL draft, there's fans of every single team, and any jersey goes. You don't have to question why you might see any particular jersey because every team is making picks, and there's interest. So just a parade of colors and different jerseys and different players uh, all throughout AT&T Stadium and the parking lots afterwards is uh, something that's really stuck with me. And, as well as just seeing how the NFL has really blown up the draft and made it such a big thing. The year before, the Cowboys hosted it was in Philadelphia, and that was really the reason why they felt moving it around would be a good thing and having all these other places host to uh, 
get their shot at having an NFL spectacle, like you said, and Vegas is going to be no different. They got the new stadium. Their team has a new coach and some optimism itself, and it's going to attract a lot of football fans. And like you said, it's going to be a lot of fun down there. So, yeah, I can't wait to see uh, what the NFL draft looks like from Vegas. And you mentioned seeing jerseys everywhere. I think every NFL team is going to have jerseys everywhere in terms of what they're going to sell at their pro shops now that the NFL has expanded uh, the helmet rules. So now teams can really get creative because that's what put a damper. If you don't know why Dallas stopped wearing the the sort of throwback jerseys, that was because ahead of the 2013 season, the NFL to try to dodge, uh, you know, just the concussion liability stuff said, we're all, you can only wear one helmet and you can't have multiple helmets throughout the season. So you, they, it has to be the same helmet, even though in 2016, Des Bryant changed his helmet and he was wearing a different helmet by December. A, a totally different fit and everything. That's okay. Well, you, you can change helmets and like get them approved and things like that. I think you just can't like completely swap out the. Well, that doesn't make sense either. Though, it doesn't. Like, no, that's what I'm saying. They did. It was typical NFL of. Right. No, really, of where they try to overcorrect and then they mess up. But anyway, I just got off on a jag. The point is, it, the the throwbacks are coming back. Uh, so. No, I don't know that they're coming back. Here's where Dallas is. They got the blue, they got the navy, they got the color rush, and they got alternate. So what alternate jerseys would you want to see come back? So they've kind of done what they can to bring, like, the stars on the shoulders look back. It's on the color rush, and then it's on the current Thanksgiving jersey that's not the original color rush. As well, he's talking have, about the throwbacks from 1960. They mimic the 60 to 63 jerseys, the double stars. You're talking about like what uh, Dallas used to wear from 04 to 2012, right? I want like the 90s triplets, big stars on the shoulders. Okay, yeah, those need to make a comeback because I have two my, myself. I own two different jerseys that have some version of stars on the shoulders that they don't normally wear i have the prescott current thanksgiving and then the tony romo color us but you know go big or go home everything's bigger in texas i want the big 90s stars back yeah and i think what's disappointing is because they lost the 94 nfc championship game in those jerseys and one of the um hallmark images is just the mud from candlestick park all over those jerseys and they lost and and i think that they've been uh you know relegated to uh just the forgotten parts of cowboys history and they they don't really make a a comeback but uh, if the cowboys were to bring back a throwback jersey i i think that they should look into what they wore on the 2003 thanksgiving uh, even and they wore it in O2 as well. It mimicked that, but it was the blue version of that double star that you're talking about. I thought that was a pretty sweet look. And if you just if people go put in the search engine, the the image search engine for Emmett Smith throwback 2002 
uh, Quincy Carter. I have to bring up Quincy Carter. Uh, throwback 2003. Those are the jerseys I'm talking about. I, I think those were pretty sweet. And you can find them as one of the alternate jerseys on any Madden PS2 game from 2005 through 13. Yeah, I'm looking it up as you speak right now uh, to take a look at these stars. I haven't played a Madden game in forever, just to throw that out there. Yeah, you know. I have Madden for the Sega Genesis. Uh, like Madden 92. I have... I even have... I don't even know... I just got so frustrated with it, like... I spend a lot of time watching tape, studying football, learning football, and then I turn on the game, and it's just nothing like any of the football that I've actually, you know, taken the time and investment to know. And I'm just like, this is not enjoyable. Yeah, it, when you play those video games, they aren't like football. They're like their own entity mimicking football, and so the strategies used to win are vastly different than how you would actually play a football game. Because you, when you play them like you would actually play a football game, you end up getting crushed. Oh, yeah. You try to, like, run the ball on first and ten, and, you know, before you blink, it's, you know, 38 nothing the other team, and you haven't gotten – you haven't crossed midfield yet. Yeah, and it feels like some coaches and coaching staffs, that's how, you know, they get on game day in the NFL, and they've been coaching for 27 years. But – uh, those jerseys, like I said, 02 Thanksgiving, 03 Thanksgiving, I like those. And those were actually mimicking the blue double star from the 94 season. You're talking about the one of like the, I'm, I'm trying to look at it now, like the white, so I have silver stars, but then the blue throughout the rest of the jersey. Yes. It is a clean look. Like I said, I'll take my 90s big boy stars on the shoulders over it. And I think. You know, a lot of Cowboys fans that actually watch this team win in the 90s would probably appreciate that, but it is a clean look. I think they should have the Seafoam jerseys. Hey, nothing would bring this fan base together more than the Seafoam jerseys. That's true. That is true. Nothing would bring it together more than the Seafoam jerseys. More in disgust and anger, but yeah. No, I don't know about that. I would be disgusted and, you know, I'm happy that you would be too so we can continue to do this show, you know, and not let it go off the rails that we tied such a close to Michael Gallup to. But I see all of those fans on Twitter that were pushing that seafoam. I mean, they made it all the way to the Dave Hellman's of the world and, you know, the DallasCowboys.com staff. So, uh, you know, if they had to talk about it, there's enough fans that really cared about it, which just goes to show, you know, how deep and wide the Cowboys fan base is uh, and all that. Yeah, and, and the seafoam, that was – Tech Schramm's way of making the Cowboys uniforms look good on television. That back, is correct, yeah. Back in the 70s and 80s. And so that's how you did it was you messed with the coloring a little bit. But in person, it does. It looks weird. It's like, the, what? Those aren't gray. What are those? Well, now we all have HD TV as well. So, like, you know, as soon as that kind of event, it's like, wait a second, the Cowboys are wearing green pants. What is going on? Yeah, it, the uh, the coloring scheme is a little bit bizarre. But, uh, you know, hey, like I said, Tech Shram was doing. And that's what I would like to know is what Tech Shram would think seeing all of these different jerseys, not jerseys, but the cleats, my cause, my cleats thing, where you've got guys wearing different colored cleats that don't exactly match their uniforms. Um, 
and even just what's gone on with the NBA where guys are wearing uh, just sleeves and, and it looks like they wear uh, long sleeve T-shirts underneath. I, I would love for him to come back and just critique pro sports uniforms. One of the biggest uniform tragedies is I mentioned earlier, I don't really follow the NBA as much anymore, but I did get really into the Cavaliers uh, 3-1 comeback against that Super Warriors team. And one of the greatest tragedies is that they won that defining game seven in in the jersey with sleeves on it. The Cleveland Cavaliers black jersey with sleeves. It was like a t-shirt jersey or whatever they call it these days in the NBA. I don't know. Point being, you can't win one in what might be the biggest games in NBA history. And if that's recency bias, I don't care. You can't win that game in that jersey. But, I mean, they did, and good for Cleveland and good for LeBron. Of course, that was a huge moment. But it was a uniform tragedy that will never be amended. Yeah, you, you've got to do it in, in good jerseys. That's what we've learned on this episode of Hidden Yardage is it's got to be done with the right jerseys. Otherwise, you know, just what are we doing here? Uh, that I guess you took as a rhetorical question. Okay, well, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say what I mean. Look, uh, you know, we've made our points about Joseph. I was gonna say let's uh, you know tee you up for some Cowboys birthdays here and move on. But. All right, yeah, let's blow out the candles on some Cowboys birthdays here uh, today. As you're listening to Hidden Yardage right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network, and we also hope that you listen to First and Ten that debuts, I mean, that comes out on Mondays. But today's birthday is Chad Hutchinson, who played for the Cowboys from 02 to 03, turns 45 years old on Monday. What do you remember of Chad Hutchinson, Sean? So really, he's just one of those names, you know, like I've mentioned on this feed before and in fans that have known my Cowboys background, you know, really the first quarterback I had memories of is Romo. So I wasn't here for that bridge from Aikman to Romo that everybody talks about, and I know Hutchinson was part of that. So not many memories. Like you said, uh, was it 2002 and three were the seasons you just mentioned? So I was uh, seven and eight years old doing those. By the way, he was the starting quarterback when the Cowboys, uh, when, when Emmett Smith broke Walter Payton's record, he was the starting quarterback that day. And also he was starting quarterback on Thanksgiving when Dallas wore those throwback uniforms I mentioned, and they beat Washington. By the way, that would not be the only time he played a Thanksgiving game for, I mean, in Texas Stadium. Incidentally, Hutchinson came back to Texas Stadium in 2004 uh, with the Chicago Bears. I was wrong. He did not play that game. He was inactive. But he did finish out his career in Chicago in 04 and went one and four in the process on Wednesday. We've got Jackie Smith. Surely when I tell you that Jackie Smith had to be the, uh, sickest man in America during Super Bowl 12, 13, you know what I'm talking about, right, Sean? That was Vernal Lundquist on the call. Correct. There you go. Little broadcast note there. Uh, if any of my friends that from uh, you know broadcast past uh, are listening, you know, that's why we know about that one. And so yeah, definitely uh, iconic 
broadcast moment, but not so much of an iconic moment for Cowboys history, unfortunately. Yeah, Smith, he turns 85 years old on Wednesday. And Smith actually was – he's in the Hall of Fame now. He was elected uh, – in, I mean, inducted in 94, I believe. And it was because of his stellar career with the St. Louis Cardinals, not the baseball team, but the Arizona Cardinals when they played in St. Louis from 1960 to uh, 87. That's what they were known as. And so – he was a Hall of Fame tight end, and he retired after the 77 season because he was relegated to a backup role. He, uh, Tom Landry talks him out of retirement in late September of 1978 after Jay Sally broke his arm. And so Smith comes back, and he's playing in a reserve role. He's a blocking tight end, but, hey, you know, he's helping defend a Super Bowl because Dallas had won the Super Bowl the year before. And so Smith, he does a good job. And in fact, Sean, in the playoffs, in the divisional round, when Roger Staubach got knocked out and Danny White had to fill in and lead Dallas to a victory against the Atlanta Falcons in Texas Stadium, Jackie Smith had three catches in that game. I think he even caught a touchdown. And so he was someone whose star was up and then in that goal line situation, he drops the pass. Dallas has to settle for three points, and they end up losing 35-31. It was not really indicative of the type of player or the type of career that Jackie Smith had. Yeah, it goes to show, you know, one bad bounce can define your career. We've seen that over the past couple of years in some of these big games and some of these most recent Super Bowls. So. It's not, a, but that's not just a recent history thing. I mean, it goes way back, and that one always gets time stamped because, again, of the Longquist call and all that. Definitely, and someone who's unforgettable is Ed Tutal Jones. He also has a birthday on Wednesday. Turned seventy-one years old, and this is what I think is fascinating about Ed Tutal Jones. Not that you know he was six ten, but that he played for Dallas. From 1974 to 1989, save for the 79 season when he retired to go boxing. But just in the aggregate, 74 to 89. That means, Sean, he played with Mr. Cowboy Bob Lilly and was on the same team at the end of his career as Troy Aikman. That's pretty impressive. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't watch – any of those guys ever in person, but those are all names that every single Cowboys fan should know and to say that, and to, or to find rather a player that has ties throughout all of it is, and a good player at that, you know, a great player at that. Uh, that, yeah, that is incredible. That's amazing. And he's someone that uh, Randy White, for example, and his teammates say that he should be in the hall of fame. But unfortunately, I, I think that those seventies Cowboys like that and, Beautiful Harvey Martin's one of them. I think they just get lost in the strata of all of the football games that come after them that they get forgotten. But he's definitely not. I mean, he was, in. I think, in Geico commercials back in 2009. So he still has some cachet just from being, hey, Ed Too Tall Jones. Yeah, the nickname is great, and he really, you know, redefined the position and, Obviously had such an illustrious career, uh, 
by being able to play with so many other Cowboys greats. And then finally, we've got Otto Stowe, who turned 73 years old. And not even, not just you, Sean, but a lot of people might be asking, who? Who was yeah. that? Well, he, Thank you, man. Yeah. Well, he played receiver for Dallas in 1973, and Dallas actually traded for him in 1973. Uh, he, was, he played for the Miami Dolphins. He was on their undefeated season, and Dallas goes and acquires him because uh, Bob Hayes is, you know, not exactly a bullet at this stage in his career. And so they bring in Otto Stowe, and he breaks his arm about midway through the season. And taking his place is an undrafted free agent from the University of Tulsa. I'll give you a hint as to who that is, Sean. You may know who it is because he just recently got elected to the, I mean, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's responsible for one of the greatest uh, draft memories ever. So who is that guy that took Otto Stowe's place? That would be none other than Drew Pearson, of course. There you go. So Drew Pearson takes Otto Stowe's place, and he's a stellar rookie, takes his place uh, just as a starter, and then... Uh, Stowe, he gets traded to the Denver Broncos at the end of the 74 preseason, I believe. And then, but if there was no Otto Stowe, there would have been no one for Drew Pearson to beat out. And he did. So you get, in some ways, you got to tell, you, you can't tell the Drew Pearson story without mentioning the fact that he took Otto Stowe's place and the rest is history. By the way, if you want to check out other Cowboys' birthdays coming up this week. There's an article out on that on bloggingtheboys.com. And Pearson, of course, a New Jersey native, so a little shout-out there, carrying our flag. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Drew Pearson, he is from New Jersey. Uh, and it, how many Cowboys fans would you say are in Jersey? More than you would expect, I guess is probably the best way to put it. You know, obviously they're outnumbered by two direct rival teams when it comes to the Giants all throughout the state, and then South Jersey gets pretty close to Philly, of course. So you get a lot of Eagles fans down there. Uh, but even still, yeah, there there were enough Cowboys fans. I used to go into New York for work, and there were dedicated Cowboys bars where you, know, you can guess some of those people were probably watching the game there, and then potentially going back home to New Jersey like so many New York workers do. So, yeah, there were a surprising amount of Cowboys fans all throughout the Garden State. Is it because the Eagles and the Giants were bad or they did it to get back at their relatives or friends? Just what's the psychology of that? I think that's probably part of it. And then part of it is just, you know, and you can roll your eyes at this, and I certainly will, certainly will, because, again, I haven't been here to really see this team win. But part of it's just that America's team, we have fans everywhere type of vibe but uh, you know i have a friend who's really big into international travel and every time he's in a new country and he sees somebody with a cowboy's hat or jersey or any type of cowboy's gear he makes an effort to send me a picture and i can't tell you how many places he sent me a picture of uh, meeting a cowboy's fan somewhere so when you put it in perspective that way new jersey probably falls down the list of surprising places where you would see dallas fans but like I said, to be sandwiched in between Giants and Eagles territory and still find enough Cowboys fans is a, certainly pretty unique. And you got the Jets, of course. And one one team 
that has always surprised me though more than meeting other Cowboys fans is the is the amount of Miami Dolphins fans in, in New Jersey. I mean, I that I would never understand. I even have a family member that's a Dolphins fan, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, again, I would posit that maybe it's because the Dolphins were rivals. Uh, well, they're in the same division as the New York Jets, and so you might get some of that, you know, you want to get back at your relatives or you don't want to be the same as your friends or you're picked on in school, so you're going to go against the home team. I think Getting a head start in the retirement to Florida. Yeah, exactly. Something along those lines. That's the only reason why. Because, I mean, the Dolphins have been – I mean, Dallas – you know, we talk about since 1996 and everything. That's another legacy franchise that has been terrible. I mean, not even close since really Jimmy Johnson and Dave Wanstatt. We'll say Dave Wanstatt and Ricky Williams in 03. I mean, since then, it's just been underachieving. I don't even, they haven't even won a playoff game, I don't believe. Since yeah, I'm convinced you could open a Miami Dolphins theme bar somewhere in New Jersey, and it would do very well. A Cowboys bar would do fine too, depending on the location, but a Miami Dolphins bar would do very good in New Jersey for whatever ungodly reason. And where could anyone who wants to talk about that Dolphins bar find you on Twitter to talk to you about it? Yeah, we could talk uh, anything and everything Dolphins, but hopefully Cowboys and NFL draft along the way as well at Sean Martin NFL. Check me out on there. Check out the bloggingtheboys.com front page where we'll have articles coming out all week long. And you can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn. It's where you can find it. Also bloggingtheboys.com. And just subscribe, like it, have fun, rate it. We get to do this again this week. Uh, That's right. Uh, We're going to be doing it again. This week, we'll see what we got up our sleeves. Follow me on Twitter, at TheRealMarkLane. And we're filling in for Riled Up, correct? That is correct. A great BTB uh, throwback there, Tom Ryle. So are you going to pretend to be the old guy, and I've got to pretend to be Roy? How does this work? Uh, I mean, I don't think that's fair to Tom. Like you know, like I said, he is a BTB legend type of thing, but I never really followed his work, uh, you know, up until recently. So I don't think I have the perspective to try to beat Tom. I'm just going to come on here and be the same same guy you've gotten to know uh, through two episodes so far. <laughs> okay, yeah. So you're just focused on today. There you go. He's a Jersey guy, all right. He's just focused on today. Jason Garrett, who is also from New Jersey. You know, Garrett. They say the Jersey thing. He's actually more of an Ohio guy. He was born in Abington, right outside. Well, he went to Princeton, though, right? Yeah, he did. He goes to Princeton, and they they do have his Starfish Charities camp there, um, because that's where his brothers and everybody, you know, they go through Jersey. But he, growing up, his favorite quarterback and his team were the Cardiac Kids, the Cleveland Browns, and Brian Sipe. So there you go. <laughs> My first ever Cowboys game in person was uh, in Cleveland. So, Oh, that 2016 one? Yeah, right? I believe so, yeah. Prescott and Elliott's rookie year uh, made the drive in, I think, one day. from Not on that Sunday, but on a Friday, I think it most likely was. Uh, Thursday or Friday. Made the okay, drive yeah, and then um, 
Cam Irving and David Irving got into a fight and both ejected that game. I remember. I remember that only because they announced the ejection as, I think, 94, which would have been Gregory and Irving wore 95. And I don't think Gregory was active that game. Or if he was, I don't think he was on the field during that play. I remember remember jumping up when I heard 94. I'm like, he's not active. I can't possibly be right. Getting into the moment there and only to find out on like Twitter five seconds later that it was actually Irving. Yeah. I'll tell you, going to the games, sometimes you do have sensory deprivation like that in terms of ejections or injuries or so forth. Uh, If only they could pipe something into your brain and let you know what's going on. We could be the Atlanta Falcons and get fined for piping in the crowd noise. The only crowd noise coming from the from the stands in that particular game was Dallas fans. It was a that was a Cowboys road takeover for Sue. Yeah, and that happens to a lot of people. You've been listening to Hidden Yardage right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Sean, it was good talking to you. Well, I'll see you not too soon on uh, Thursday. Absolutely, we'll do this again. So there it is. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.